We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Off The Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm the captivating, motivating, tentilating, and money-making Dr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I got my main man, Mr. Paulo Chang in the building. Paul, say what's up to the people. Yes, sir. What up, y'all? Glad you guys are tuning in for this episode. I'm very, 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 very excited about it, man. This one's going to be fire. So just settle in, y'all, for real. Settle in. Y'all about to hear a boss come on the show today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that being said, you guys know every week it's the same thing. We love to bring you special guests that can upgrade your business, your brand, your life, whatever you need. We got it for you here at OTC. This week is no exception. With that being said, we got a boss lady in the building today. We have a serial entrepreneur and business development and funding coach for women of color in healthcare. This is the first y'all. She is the co-founder of Strong Children Wellness, a multi-award-winning healthcare practice network in New York City, providing integrated physical, mental, and social health services for low-income communities of color. She is also the founder of Melanin and Medicine, a premier business development and funding coaching company to help support women of color in medicine, build, fund, and grow their own social impact healthcare businesses. Let me get let me get a second, y'all. This is a long resume here. Okay, she has grown both of her social enterprises to multi six figures in revenue in less than 18 months, driven by a passion for social justice and her career as a pediatrician, researcher, and professor, and ability to properly secure $2 million in grant funding. That's a lot of money, y'all. She has led interprofessional teams to build and scale healthcare delivery and research programs for health equity of marginalized families. Y'all, she's a beast. She's killing it. Without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce our lovely guest for today. We have the lovely Dr. Omolaro Uemedimo in the building. Yes, ma'am. How you the doing? air horn has played. Uh, okay, so now I know it's serious. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. How you feeling? I'm feeling really well after that very uncomfortable resume reading. Why? Why was it uncomfortable? You know, it's fun writing, but then reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Nah, be proud of it. Be proud of it. We're excited to have you. It's going to be a great episode. So we like to be respectful of your time. With that being said, we always kind of like to start with the why, right? Because a lot of who you are and what you've been able to create and build comes from the why. So with that being said, just right out the gate, why did you choose medicine as a career? Like, how did how do we even get here to begin with? Yeah, well, you know, I'm Nigerian, so we only have like two options, actually, <laughs> but, but um, to be serious, I chose medicine because it was what I was exposed to. I actually 
had a black woman pediatrician who I had to see often because I was sick a lot as a child. And then also my mom was a visiting nurse. And instead of after school, she would take me with her <laughs> to be her assistant um, on those trips. And I just enjoyed kind of the conversation and just the intimacy of medicine. I really also like the fact that impact, you could see it right away. Like you did something, something happened, the person got better. And that was really exciting to me. So that I think those are in my formative years were really important. And then once I, um, you know, I am from, my parents are from Nigeria. So we would go on the summers to Nigeria. And then once I saw the discrepancy between how I lived and my cousins lived, there was this justice piece that kind of overtook me and said, what, how can we, how can we fix that as well? And so trying to meld those two was really important. First of all, I just want to point out, um, because I think it's important for us to kind of even talk about it a little bit, where you said, because you saw somebody like you, you know, all jokes aside, because I'm Kenyan, so I get it. Like, you know, it's only like three life options um, we can choose from. <laughs> and if you don't, then, hmm. Um, but even to start off from a place where you said, okay, I grew up seeing somebody who look like me doing the thing that ultimately you chose to do, right? Uh, what kind of impact would you say that's a lot for you to be able to have of like on young black kids, like who grow up and get to see you? Because I think that's one of the things that it's so easy to pass over and just act like it's just another thing where it's not normal. So what kind of impact do you think just you being who you are in your position has allowed for younger people to be able to look at you and say, yeah, that pushes me on. Yeah, I think it's a really good question just because um, out of all the physicians in the U.S., only 2% are Black women. So I didn't know that the woman I was like seeing all the time was a unicorn, and that was in the 1980s. So the number has actually stayed pretty much the same. I think impact-wise, we you have to see something similar or otherwise you really don't even know where to start or where to begin. And I, so I think for me, it definitely has not, people have not been um, silent about being very proud and being very excited, especially I think a lot of my fellow physicians, black women physicians can relate to like going into a room and people giving either a sigh of relief or the nod or a high five, <laughs> all of those things, especially um, when they're patients of color. And the interesting thing about it is it doesn't just um, stop there. So there's been research, of course, about the fact that my provider being of the same culture um, or background actually can really make or break in terms of mortality. So we've seen that kids, um, infants who are less than one, if their, if their provider was white and they were black, they were more likely to die actually before the age of 12 months. And um, this, so it has so many ramifications, not only from acknowledgement and inspiring, but it's also sadly in our universe because most providers haven't done the due diligence to be culturally responsive. It's actually impacting our health outcomes too. What you're doing is incredible. Let me just let me just say that before I even ask my question. Like this is this is so big because we we've talked about this so many times, like amongst ourselves and in, even with guests in the past. We know 
the disparities that are there. You know, we know the issues that happen within our community because of the lack of representation that is there, you know, so hats off to you for building something amazing and continuing to build this. Let me ask you now, just from a, a standpoint of building and, and creating, what would you say like are some of the best practices to kind of secure funding for social enterprises in healthcare and beyond? Yeah, so I think, you know, usually like people I meet go, when they see funding coach, they go straight to that. And I'm like, okay, hold, hold yours because you got to have something that people want to fund um, in order to do fund, in order to get money. Um, and I think one really important thing has been being able to, you, you mentioned it, your why. Um, in particular, I think for social entrepreneurship, which is a bit different from traditional entrepreneurship, which is, um, you know, definitely providing value. Social entrepreneurship really has this space where it's not just the income, it's the impact. And so for social entrepreneurs, there needs to be a clear, a very clear problem and a clear, how is this affecting some kind of either marginalized, neglected group, some group that can't solve the problem on their own and how your business is, is supporting them. And so the first thing before even funding is being really clear about your, I would say your why, and also being clear about why you've chosen to pivot in this way. So why can't the existing structures actually solve it for those people and why you are capable? So positioning yourself and your expertise, right? So that positioning piece is so important because I think many of us, especially those of us of African descent here in the US in particular, are conditioned to see ourselves as employees, are conditioned to see ourselves as people who take instructions and are told what to do instead of moving into what we're called to do. So we need to now position ourselves and do something I call an expertise inventory, which is like, let's put it on paper. Like, let's look at your career and look at the things that you've done. Because most, most doctors, I don't know for physical therapists, but they're like, I don't know how to do anything else, right? And then it's like, okay, let's actually put that down on paper. And when we position and see what your strengths are, the next thing we wanna think about is how do you package that in a way where it really shows that this was a natural step. This was the problem, I do this, and now look, like there's nothing else except this thing that I have to create. And the last thing I would say is probably being able to now say to yourself, who else, right, do you need to actually make the impact? Because most times for funding, it's very important to think about reach. When we're thinking about impact, it could be a community, right? I think most of us in direct healthcare, we are very interested in that one-to-one -one and can do that. But when we're thinking about funding, your funders are so interested and how does this, how will this propagate? How do you continue to make more impact? That might mean a larger community. It might mean scaling in terms of instead of it just being direct services, it becomes health education, it becomes tech, whatever that is. So it's really important for your funders to see you, not just the problem, but you as the person who is equipped, who has the expertise, and as well seeing that there's a vision that can really reach a large amount of people. We always tell, um, and I talk about it in all our videos for our business, but we always say that like 
somebody out there has a problem and they're actively trying to find the solution you provide. And it sounds like, you know, and I love that you hit it because this is stuff that's like going to trigger me to get excited. Um, but just working from a place of not just going with the, it is what it is mentality or I can only work a job forever because ain't no, first of all, ain't nothing wrong with the nine to five. Plenty of people work a nine to five. Some people work nine to fives that pay them hundreds of thousands, some millions, some not so much. So there's nothing wrong with it. But I do believe to have that impact requires a level of like guts, like just being willing to go out there and do it. Almost like um, I heard somebody describe it as like almost like a level of delusion. You have to be a little delusional, right? Because what everybody's doing isn't changing much. So to have that impact, you have to almost kind of shoot for like, this is not reality. This is not going to be normal. So then here's my question for you, because I think a lot of people, as they're hearing that, they're like, yo, that sounds really dope. I can figure this out. I can have this solution. I can find funders. But how do people become that person? Mm-hmm. And I ask that mm-hmm. just because it's like, you can't just wake up one day and be like, I've personally developed into somebody who could secure two million little reasons to, to change the world. So how do people become that person? What does that look like? Yeah, so thank you for that. I think one of the things, so there's um, a boot camp that I did a long time ago. I thought it was going to be like amazing. Like I thought this was amazing. It was a mindset boot camp. It's called Own Your Power, right? And it was really about all of the things that we don't let go of. And for me, honestly, I feel like without that personal reflection about I usually do this. One, I try to identify where most times people move into entrepreneurship because there is some kind of tension happening. It could be a palpable tension where it's like, I got fired and I need to make money, right? Very clean. Or it could be, why do I have to pray like every day, like in the car in order to get into the office? Like I have to like put gospel music or something on why like or actual um actual anxiety or headaches right but when that tension happens a lot of us are conditioned to normalize it and be like oh well you know it's just struggle and self-sacrifice that's what we're supposed to do and I think ultimately what happens is we have to say to ourselves a lot of us come up with some ideas and most often they're shot down by ourselves because we don't let go of what other people think. So one thing that I want us to think about, and I usually say is, when was the time like that you accomplished something? Because all of us have done this and accomplished something that everyone thought was ludicrous (laughs) and you actually just went for it, right? All of us have that kind of um, thing, no matter how big or how small. But I think that is particularly important. And then I think the other piece of it is starting to learn um, how to do what I call postmortems. Um, I got this from Charlie Gilkey, which is we have to go back to our successes and go back to where were the, the mountaintops in our lives and start to think about what, why did that happen? What, what caused me to do that? What went well? Because every time we have valleys, there's usually a mountaintop behind it. And I think a lot of us don't, a lot of us very much focus on our deficits or valleys, and then we don't focus on our successes. And because we don't focus on them, we don't replicate them. So for example, when I have a success, am I going back and saying what went well? 
What did I learn from that? What was challenging? If I don't do that, now I don't have a reference point to even think when I'm in the valley, when I'm in tension, to even think that I can have a successful moment doing something on my own again. So I usually try to bring that out for people to start to just put that together, create a lifeline from zero to whatever age you are. Let's start to like look at those things. What are the themes coming out in your life of what you find meaningful? And then the other thing that I usually say is not only looking at the past, but looking at the future. What is it that you would regret not seeing, not doing, not becoming, not creating in 15 years? What would that be? Are you on a track to do that or not? Like, are you on a track to do that or not? And if you're not, are you okay with that? Because if you decide to not move, it's not that you're being neutral, you're making a decision. So you're making a decision that that vision of what you want is not not enough or not going to not not something that you're going to pursue and then the last thing i would say is a lot of us don't do mitigation plans most of us fear success <laughs> like we think it's failure but we fear success because it's going to require us to shift and change right i was like oh my god wait why is all this money oh lord okay and you'll actually like limit yourself because you're not even used to like oh my god what's gonna happen the, the IRS is going to come from me, <laughs> what's going to happen, right? And so ultimately, we have to start preparing ourselves and thinking about, I can handle that. What do I need to do? I'm a smart cookie. Maybe I should actually hire somebody. <laughs> Maybe I should do this. And so a lot of us think we're fearing failure, but we are, we are amazing. So we're not, you know, in that space. A lot of us is the fear of success and the fact that things are going to change and how are we going to prepare ourselves for that? You just said a word right there. Uh, <laughs> that no, that was amazing. So, so on the back end of that, right? Because we understand that as you're essentially trying to level up and break out of the norm of what you're used to to be a successful entrepreneur or be successful in your business and brand, you have to un you have to basically undergo that growth, right? Mm -hmm. So just from your perspective and what you've been able to kind of, I guess, invest into yourself to be able to take your mind to that next level, what would be like some books that you would recommend for someone getting ready to enter into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so the first book that I did, so let me just be clear. I didn't wake up and I, I was holding on to my job, kicking and screaming. I'm just telling people, let me be honest. I, in May, 2019, over the course of the week, I lost an ability, I lost the ability to walk. I had, I had left clinical medicine for a little bit cause I was burnt out. I was doing like five and a half jobs, right? Like most of us and getting paid for one. And basically I found myself unable to walk and I was in a hospital bed and they had to, I brought my computer to the hospital. I was like, I can't walk, but at least I can type. And I couldn't even do that. So ultimately I now pulled myself, I, had, I was pulled away from work. And that's when I found out I was doing five jobs because they gave my work to five different people. So under those circumstances, I have four months of time to do my physical rehab with my physical therapist and my life rehab. And during that time, that was when I did those questions. Those questions um, about my visioning, 
about purpose, mission, those questions. The book that helped me the most was The Future Belongs to Those Who Dare. It's by Priscilla Rose. And it, it's not like a read book. It's more of an exercise book. It's an interactive book that you get to do those exercises. And so when I finally got to my purpose and mission, so purpose, my why, mission, my how, vision for what, right? And so once I finally figured that out, then the thought was hyping myself up, right? <laughs> like I could do this. And I realized once again, I can't do this. I don't know. And so it was me saying, who can help me instead of how am I going to do this, um, which most of us do. And then we end up delaying our success instead of who can help me do this. And so that I will say I have spent a lot of money <laughs> and, and initially I had to ask my mom to help me. So don't think, don't get it twisted. Okay. Like sometimes you're going to have to get really, really humble. Um, and, but I knew that was what I needed. I needed someone to, who's done it before to guide me. And I think that is something that we don't think about at all because we're so used to kind of the superhero complex of doing everything by ourselves. So I would say that one and then The Big Leap was really helpful. Um, the Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which really gets you into your zone of genius were the two primary stuff. I could go on about books, but primary, if we're just starting, those are like essential books for to start. Our house. That's, uh, that's the only way to describe you for real. Um, just powerhouse. So let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, some of the people that you represent to as well. Um, and specifically women of color in business, because like you said, if 2% of minorities are in medicine, I don't even know what the percentage is for people of color in business. And I don't know what it is for women, but what have you found have been like key challenges as you've been building businesses and maybe even what other women are finding to be like, you know, difficulties and how are you helping themselves and how did you help yourself uh, overcome a lot of those challenges? Yeah. So I, I like to talk about, I think the first thing is the confidence piece. So I have people fill out a discovery form if they're like, you know, you want to like talk to an idea and you should see how many people are like, I don't know if I'm going to fill that out. Like they, the idea that they have is so, they're so lacking in confidence around even just sharing it with one person, right? And I think ultimately when you're so used to doing something, we love to sit right in that zone of excellence. And so that zone of genius that we've never moved into, we're just like, no, no, that's, that sounds uncomfortable. No, I'm going to circle back to the zone of excellence. And so I think the first thing is giving people baby steps to like have these little accomplishments. So the biggest accomplishments that we do is try to get their idea fully fleshed out. And the way we, and I think that's, really powerful. And I think actually, because we focus a lot on funding, like getting an idea, not just for a business that is going to bring in revenue, um, because, but a business that's going to get funded eight out of 10 business, black, black owned businesses fail within the first 18 months, only 3% of black owned businesses end up being mature over, um, four years. And so, ultimately the reason why funding is really important. Most of that's due to cash flow. 
it allows for you to make decisions um, that like dominate instead of decisions of desperation. So I usually start with what is the valuable problem that you know and who actually like needs that and will pay you for it? Not a person, but organizations. So I am very much about for busy people, like my, my women who are in healthcare and our physicians, how do we, and impact, how do we think about organizations and how do we think about our business as partnering with organizations to solve a problem so that we can reach a population? So for example, a lot of women come in like, I have a course, so I want to coach. And, I, and, they're, and they're like, yeah, so how am I going to get in front of like, you know, I need a thousand people to buy my car or whatever. And I'm like, that, you know, that, that sounds like a lot. We're going to do, or who has those people? right? And already that you don't need to market to, and you can connect with them and show the compelling piece of your, of your work and how it's going to improve their competitive advantage. And a lot of people get scared about that because it's like, I have to show up, but you have a cotter of expertise. And so I just want people to recognize that and also recognize the fact that you have to start to also look at what is the value add that you are bringing to the to the um, the field. That's going to be extremely important in terms of thinking through this. So, kind of piggybacking off of off of that, from a perspective of being able, because I think that's really good. Like that's a really good gem right there you just shared of being able to put yourself in the realm or essentially in the same room with those people that are looking for the thing that you have to offer, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that falls right along with just marketing and how you market yourself, you know? So speaking from your, for, for yourself, how has your marketing strategy played an impact on your business as you've grown? Yeah, thank you for that. So, it, so one thing I think is it's simplified as I've grown. Right. I think I was doing all the things when I started. It was like, and you know, because you hear everything, you're like, let me see what free workshop can I go to? And like, they're like, do this, do that, and do this. And so I'm trying to be on 800 platforms and I'm trying to like call people, cold call people, and do those kind of things. And what I recognized that was really interesting. So, for, and this might not work for most people, but uh, there's, um, LinkedIn is a really interesting place, right? Because it is where the top income earners live. And it is also where you'll find a lot of organizations, the people who run in those circles, funders, people who have the money, right, programs. And so one of the things that I think that we don't do when we are now moving into entrepreneurship is the last thing we do is want to let anyone know. So our profiles, the emails that like we could send to the people who already know, like, and trust us, right. To network and be like, Hey, I'm doing this new thing. We don't do that. We're like, let's build up a platform and try to find all these new people who don't know us and get them to love us. And it's like, your first clients are probably in your email right now. They probably are connected to those people right now. Right. And I think that's the first piece it is what I've gone back to. But I also think the other piece is I am very much, and this is very different. I think you're going to have to figure out what your strengths are. I know I hate video, right? <laughs> but I know I love writing 
And I know I love being a nerd and reading, right? And I love like sharing that information. So I had to sit and say, what is it that is the way that I can show my value for my specific clientele? And it really is by the articles I consume and giving my opinion on it, right? And so people know that is where I, that is where I live. Like that is like, if you need to know anything about, you know, women of color, getting funding, career transition, I'm going to have the article right there on my feed and being able to be shareable in that way and bringing value. So that honestly has been really important. But I think the other piece is not, is not honing in on what I would say is not honing in on how it is that you want to like bring a lot of people to to one place. So what I I usually say is you want to think about what is the best way that you can you can teach people honestly and if that's through a monthly podcast or a quarterly event or something of that sort where you can bring decision makers to a room um, those are really important things to think about or potentially putting yourself in those rooms so my marketing strategy has gotten really simple in terms of i write on LinkedIn. I like to do that. Um, I also email my contacts and let them know what new things are happening. And then I have a monthly workshop and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Um, for my practice, which is a little bit different, what we've done for Strong Children Wellness, which is my other piece, is we just get ourselves in the media. We meet people. We're like, hey, this is the new thing we're doing. And we're trying to get ourselves like on. So we've been in New York. We've been featured in New York Times, Cranes, NPR. And the reason is because we don't, we share with everyone. We just launched this thing. We just did this. So for a practice, it's a little bit different, but you want to be able to utilize visibility for like programs that are service-based where you're trying to work with organizations you want to utilize thought leadership um, to really show that you are the, the person who they can trust and they can invest five, six figures in. My last question to you, and well, let me ask this one, right? Because I, I could ask so many questions. I, I, I'm just asked half of them off camera. But okay. here's my <laughs> last question to you. If knowing all you know now, and you could go back to May 2019, right? Oh and you're laying there and you're just like, what the heck? <laughs> but you go back and you tell yourself, you're going to crush it. You're going to succeed. But this is the one thing I need you to know, because it's not just going to help you, but everybody else who gets to hear your story years later is able to use this one thing and grow their stuff. What would that thing be? Hmm. Gee. Okay. <laughs> the one thing I would have told myself to help me move forward, I think, I think the biggest thing for me was when you do purpose-driven entrepreneurship, it's probably the most successful because you know it's not an if, it's a how. And what I mean by that is this is not 
like something you're choosing. This is something that you're chosen for. Like it's something you're called. So what, what I think I've had to tell myself and actually has brought me back because no one, let me not be on here saying entrepreneurship is like, woohoo, I love it. It is, I don't like, you know, I, I could be a preacher now the way my faith is like, <laughs> I'm like an evangelist, seriously. It's the calling piece. Like I feel now that when I decided to shift in here, like I said, every other door was closed. I asked everyone in my institution, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And nothing. And then two people, these two white men, both of them in a different country, they were like, maybe you should just leave. And I was like, okay, gee, all right. And, and so that was when I knew that, okay, I was not like, if I didn't make the decision, I was going to be pushed out. And I think that's really important for, for many of us who cannot sleep. You can't eat without thinking about it. You keep, it keeps coming. It's not going to go away. And once that happens, recognize that it's a calling and recognize that it's going, like, if that is a calling, you are going to succeed. The only way you don't is by not persisting to think about the how. So there's always a plan B that could be utilizing somebody else. That could be finally doing the thing that you're afraid of doing, but it's not, there's, there's no room for failure basically when it's that. And so I think that has been really important for me um, in not, in doing the things that make me uncomfortable because I know I, I don't have any other choice. <laughs> it's like, like this work is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just have to be like, okay, if this month the revenue is not coming, well, I got to figure out what I did wrong and figure out how to do because <laughs> it's not that I'm supposed to give up and go get a job. Um, we didn't get to talk about any money stuff. <laughs> I'm just sitting here like, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, Carl, you take it away. So you you just brought it up. So why not before we before we end, let's talk about money. Please, let's let's speak freely. <laughs> talk to us. What gems do you have for us in regards well, to money? I mean, money, I think is just so important that black founders specifically, but founders of color know, right? That if if you're in the social entrepreneurship realm, like if you can connect your work to solving some kind of social or environmental problem, you have so many more avenues of getting money and funding your business outside of just generating the revenue, right? So I wanna make sure people at least think about social impact investing. So think about like what accelerators, incubators, people have never heard that, start Googling, okay? But social impact investment funds. So those are funds where the it's kind of like VC, um, venture capital, but it's really that they are more focused on, is this going to make impact? And some actually don't dilute your equity. Some are just like, just come in. We want to like, you know, help you actually like make the impact. So they're going to give you resources. They're going to give you a, a stipend. They're going to give you some of that. We've been in a few incubators that have been really helpful, not, not just because of the money, but more so because of the networks. 
The second thing I want people to think about is fiscal sponsorship. Now, all of these things I talk to at, in depth in my workshops, but fiscal sponsorship is something that is a lot of times people thought were for nonprofits. They actually are available for for-profits. And the idea is I'm a for-profit. There's a whole lot of grant money, but people don't give grants to, to um, for-profits you can actually get a nonprofit to sponsor you as long as it's aligned in mission, especially as a social entrepreneurship. And that's how we built SCW. We actually worked with a for-profit and we embedded our practice with that for-profit and the for-profit was able to ask for the grant and subcontract those dollars to us basically to provide that service. And so that's a fiscal sponsorship. Um, it's the B model for any of you who are interested. And then the third thing I wanna think about is equity crowdfunding. Really that's so important if you're doing community-based work, right? So if you're honing in on a specific community, it is this model where you can actually have the people of the community become investors in your business, but from a space that doesn't um, compromise your profitability. So what that means is once you become profitable, we've seen models where you can like give out, like stocks do, give out a quarterly dividend to all of your um, investors. And these are like models where people are investing just $100, $200, you know, a little bit. And it's specific. And also what that does is allow for those people, a lot of times they'll be your marketers because they're like, this is my grocery store or this is my <laughs> whatever this is. And they're bringing people in. So all of those models are really important to think about. Um, and definitely, I just want people to know from a money standpoint, it's just important for you to think about the 12 months. What do you want this to look like in 12 months? And I usually say, what is the single, you know, most transformative thing you can do? Not everything you want to do, but just the single first thing that you like has to be done in those first 12 months that would be like, this has been a success. Don't add all the bells and whistles. And that way you can start to put together the budget of your first 12 months. And once you show that impact, you can now get more funding because now you've shown results and now more people are able to say, oh, you wanna add that? You wanna add that? Cool, let's, let's fund that because now you have proof of concept. So it's not that easy. We still have to do pitch decks and all that stuff, but I just want people to start to think about the fact that there's money out there. And in healthcare, it was probably about 14 billion in the first six months in the last, um, in 2021. And most of those people did not look like us <laughs> who got that money. Okay, let's talk that talk. All right, so we're going to go into this. This might as well be part two of the podcast, y'all. Welcome to OTC. Okay, let's go into that because one, when it comes to money in these United States, yes, it flows and there is no turning it off. Unfortunately, it's learning how to tap into where you can get into the source. Mm -hmm. Now in healthcare, um, and I remember even when 2020 started and the pandemic hit, I thought to myself, like, yo, people are about to make so much money. And it, <laughs> yes, is that capitalist of me to think like that? Absolutely. But I was like, people are really about to get paid out here just off of this thing, right? Now, when we're looking at it from the perspective of like 
proof of concept and having to put it. I'm coming and I'm like, okay, I want to do this thing, but I have no proof of concept. Like I've never done this before. Where do I need to start? Yeah. So you need to start with what have you done? So for example, like when we got our first for SCW, um, we got our first six figure it was 125,000. Um, we've gotten about five, a half a million more over the past 18 months for the SCW outside of our reimbursement um, uh, for that, for that, that business. And that first 125,000 was just an idea written on paper, but you know what funders focus on who you are too. Like they would rather, like everyone thinks it's, oh, it's going to be this amazing idea. They rather you come with some mediocre idea, but if they see you and they're like, you did what before? What'd you do? Oh, okay. We'll fund your we don't like that idea too much, but we'll <laughs> like, well, this person looks like they could do something. Like, and so I want people to know if your idea is amazing, but you are not showing yourself to be investable, which means like I have a track record of building something in that in my institution. It doesn't matter. Like, that's the thing. I built programs in my institution, right? I luckily wrote grants a lot because I was a researcher. So I knew how to formally shake people down for money. So I learned how to do that. But I was able to take something from idea to an actual thing. And it didn't even have to be the thing that I did, right, that I'm proposing now. So that was the first thing to be very, very frank. The second thing is you have to show the market size. You have to show that this is something, and this is not from a, a VC um, space. So let me not say market size, the impact size. You have to show how is this really going to be a disruptive change, not incremental. So I think those two are extremely important. And then the third thing that I would say is you want to have a plan for how this looks like it's going to sustain. And that was, that's really, that's an important nugget that comes from me from my grant, uh, grant writing days when, you know, we get little bits of money and they were like, and then after the money's gone, <laughs> and, you're like, and we're like, oh, so the way that we positioned ourselves was always to write that grant as if it was the last money you'd ever get. So what would you invest that money in, in order to make sure that, that, that now you can build something, build something that will be able to bring more in. So those were three pieces that were really important, even if you had never done it before, because we never built an SCW before. Is that helpful? Okay, so now, see, we're really getting into this, and I'm about to ask you all the questions, because I oh, can't even hear this. First of all, um, just shameless plug, y'all should definitely come to the workshop March 21st. <laughs> Because we'll be talking about this as well way deeper all right so she ain't gonna give you all the juice you need to show up but in this present moment we're gonna try and get it all out for the audience but and i signed up by the way so you're gonna see me but um i want to talk about you know especially because you mentioned it and i'm looking at it from the perspective or i'm trying to look at it from the perspective of the person who's never had to secure that much yeah funding yeah. and that can be a little bit intimidating mm -hmm. because it's like 
especially for a lot of people, if you're making, um, man, what do people make? Like 30, 40 grand a year. Let's go mm -hmm. with that, right? Yeah. And you're trying to secure half a million dollars in funding. Well, yeah, let me, let oh, me. All right. Okay, let me, all right. walk yeah, us through let it. Me walk say, us through it. Walk us through it. Okay, so there are different stages, right? So one is seed funding or pilot funding, right? And so a lot of times you're going to look at either if you're going impact investing a route, you're going to potentially look at a pipe, an angel, right? Or somebody who can do something between 50 to 250,000 potentially for you within for one to two years, basically. And so that is usually the first kind of pocket. I'm always about at least six figures, 100,000. And ultimately what you want to do is really start to think, like I said, if this was the last amount of money you get, you're starting to put together, what is it, who do you actually need? Because I think a lot of us see the vision and we only see ourselves. And then we like retreat and we're like, oh my God, that can't happen because I can't do all those things. And it's like, yeah, you're not supposed to. Who, what, who else is on this list on your budget? Like, what else do you need? Um, do you, you need some people who can help you potentially even support like getting the results? So one thing that I have people do is think about, um, is something called a logic model. I don't know for my public health people, <laughs> they probably know what this logic model is, but it basically is going from the outcome of what you want, right? And going backwards to, okay, what are the activities that are needed for that outcome? Okay, cool. What are the um, people who are needed for that outcome? Okay, cool. What are the actual like tangible resources needed for that outcome? Okay, cool. What either money do we need for that outcome? Space do we need for that? So it literally goes from you starting with your outcome and then working backwards to really say, what didn't I think about? What, you know, what potentially do I need? And the third part is having a trusted mentor, guide, peer, someone who has done this before or done something similar. You cannot move into these spaces. That's not how our, our lighter skinned brothers and sisters do it. You don't move into those spaces by yourself. That's not how they do it. You find people and you move informed. And so if it's not you, you go and make that, that you don't know her and you are scared to introduce yourself, you introduce yourself. You find a mutual connection on LinkedIn, <laughs> whatever, and say, hey, I know blah, 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 right? And what I, what I do love about this is really understanding that anyone, most of us who have accomplished realize how difficult it was so there's like, there's usually this like piece where it's like, yeah, let me just help. Let me just give you something. I remember reaching out to somebody who now has a billion dollar unicorn, right? She's one of the unicorns in VC. And I was like, I know you're probably busy, but I have this opportunity and I, I, you, I could only think of you because you're a black woman and two hours listen, can you get on the phone? Like tomorrow I have like 15 minutes, let's talk or whatever. Why? Because I was transparent, genuine and was like, I don't know, and I'm going to fail if you, don't, if you don't help me. So I think let's get off of that space of not tapping into our networks and that's your success pack. 
peers, who are your peers, who are your guides, and who are your supports, who are the people who you need to hold, who need to hold down the fort so that you can do that. So <laughs> first off, I got to let all of that marinate. Like <laughs> that was some really good stuff. But I want to ask you uh, more of a fun question. Oh. <laughs> so tell us if you had to say five people, who would be the five people that would be on your Mount Rushmore of entrepreneurs? Ooh. Mount Rushmore. Let me think. Why are you guys doing this to me? Um, so <laughs> I definitely am. So I love, she's a peer, Ashley Wisdom. She's a peer, but I think it's because I've seen her rise in terms of like just pushing and, and being able to get through. Um, she runs a company called Health in Her Hue. And she's one of those few that have raised a million dollars in VC cap and VC funding. Um, and it's just exciting to see how, you know, she just kind of kept going. I think um, another person who I've always learned from is Gary Tan. Um, and he is, you know, Y Combinator <laughs> founder, but he is just amazing. I think another entrepreneur that is, interesting that is on my on my list in particular um is I don't want to like say well let me start with the other person so the other person that I think is extremely exciting is my mother and why is because she's a serial entrepreneur and she's like been able to kind of shift really quickly from um, from business to business. Uh, another person who I love um, very much, I think B, Queen B, because the marketing is just insane, right? I just really love like how, you know, it's always shifting, it's always changing. And in terms of that, and I think that that's really important. I think it's something that I don't understand at all or how to do, but I really admire. And I think the last person who um, is on my list is, I forget her name. Oh God. She ran Teach for, she, she created Teach for America. I can't remember her name. And the reason I love her, even though that is a nonprofit, is still entrepreneurship, um, social entrepreneurship. And I love it because of how she started with the problem. And if you hear her story, you can go on how I built this to hear her story. But when you hear her story, you hear kind of how, you know, she got little, like little bits of money and then basically would make a, you know, make something spectacular from that and then get a little bit more and then get something, get another big funder. And so I just love the incremental, like it never was kind of like, let me just go get all of this money. And then I fail. It was that incremental piece. And now, you know, they are global, of course. Um, so I think those are people for different reasons. Um, longevity, the marketing, the like, 
ability to just get funded like nobody's business. Those are things that I really admire in particular. Awesome. So first off, let me say thank you for hopping on the show. We we talked we we talked about money now. We talked Yes, quite a bit I'm about very money, happy so. now. My 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 soul feels good. <laughs> no, because good. black I'm people glad. have to talk about money. And even us in social entrepreneurship, we like it's about the impact. I'm like, you will make no impact if you don't have no income. Like I'm I I'm sorry. So let's let's do it. Like, let's get the income so we can continue this because I have, as someone who's a grant has been grant funded, I have seen too many times where people get funding for 12 months and then they didn't think about how to continue and communities are all excited about this new project, little children happy. And then they're like, sorry, kids, funding ran out. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's distrust and there's mistrust and and so our people, like, we need to, you know, really talk about it. And if you don't understand it, then start to talk to somebody who's done it. And, and so that we make sure that you show up for a long time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree hundred percent. And shout out to you because I feel like this is going to be an episode that helps out a lot of people just from <laughs> a standpoint of, of that, you know, so Thank you for bringing that up. I didn't even, we didn't even realize that we didn't, we didn't talk about that. So I'm so glad we were able to, to address that. But just for anybody who's listening and this is their first time essentially being exposed to you, what would be some social media or contact information you would want to leave with them? Yeah, so you can definitely um, go to our website, which is melaninandmedicine.co. Um, that's where you can learn everything about us, but, uh, I, uh, everything is melanin medicine co. So Instagram, it's that, um, but I think the best thing to do is just come to our workshop and we'll tell you everything about us. So our workshop, um, you can go to bit.ly bit.ly forward slash melanin and medicine. And there you'll see our workshop. You can fill out a discovery form if you need support. You can check out our website. It has everything. So that would be my, my go-to place. And yeah, we're on everywhere. Twitter is my more Angela Davis space. LinkedIn, I'm a little more calm. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, once again, thank you so much. We appreciate you for dropping the gems on us. To our lovely audience, please go show her some love because she gave you guys so much free game. And I really hope you take it and run with it. So again, guys, as always, we appreciate you for rocking with us. We appreciate you for tuning into this episode. We hope that you got tremendous value out of it. I know we sure did. And just until next time when we see you, peace, many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.